Would you pray with me as we jump into the word? Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts this morning as we hear from you and as we learn about why you came and what you did for us on the cross. And Father, we pray that uh, for those of us who are here who have never had an experience with your love, who have never encountered you before, would we have an experience with your goodness? And Jesus, I pray that you would open up our hearts to hear from you. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Well, you know, with each child that we have had, we've got four kids, and when my wife was pregnant with each child, you know, I thought a lot about the question, and I think parents think a lot about, what is this baby going to be like when they grow up, right? What are they going to look like? What's their voice going to sound like? What is my child going to act like? What's, what's he going to accomplish in life? What's he going to face? What challenges is he, is he going to face as he goes through life? And I'm sure that these are questions that all parents ask at some point when they're expecting a baby. And these are probably the same questions that another young mother in Scripture considered. She thought about these questions. And I'm sure as Mary went through these nine months of pregnancy, she probably thought a lot about her baby. She thought a lot about what he was going to look like. What's God's face going to look like? I'm carrying the Son of God. I'm carrying... God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel, what's he going to look like? What's he going to be like? What's he going to act like? What is he going to accomplish? What challenges is he going to face? And I'm sure like any great parent in the room, Mary wanted the good life for her baby boy. She wanted a good life. She probably wanted him to have lots of friends, to be liked and to be popular. And she probably wanted him to be successful, to experience a happy and a fulfilling life. However, Mary had an advantage that we don't have when we're expecting children into our household. Mary had a glimpse into her baby's future. She had some descriptions of her baby that were written 600 years before Jesus was born. Now imagine somebody approached you while you were expecting a child and gave you a description of your child's life. And gave you a clue on what your child would be like. And you would hope to, to read on this list to see things like, oh, he was prom king in high school. And he was loved by people. He became wealthy and successful and started a thriving business that helped people all over the world. He married a beautiful wife, had three children. But this is not the description that Mary had of her baby boy. Instead... She had this description. This is not a typical uh, Christmas passage, but today I want to turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is described as um, the chapter that Isaiah the prophet wrote of the suffering servant. The suffering servant. It was written 600 years before Jesus was born. And this is the description of Jesus' life that Mary had to look at says this, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Last, last verse, verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Merry Christmas. We don't know to what extent Mary connected this passage with her baby boy. In fact, many people expected that the coming Messiah would be a warrior king. Would overthrow the Roman Empire. And would come and establish a government for Israel. A physical government for Israel. They were not expecting a suffering servant. And what we find out about this baby Jesus. Is the stuff of mother's nightmares. Right? Moms. If this was the description given to you. About your baby to be born in the world. This would cause lack of sleep at night. It's not a very encouraging description of the life of Jesus. But here's the thing. At some point, Mary had to reconcile the life that she wanted for Jesus with the life that he had to live in order to save the world. See, the real Jesus and the life that he lived was probably very different from the life that Mary wished for him. The life that Mary wanted for him. And so my question for you today is this, ask yourself, does the image of Jesus that I've created in my mind look anything like the Jesus that I read about in the Bible? Does the mental image of Jesus that I have, who's okay with certain things in my life, there's, we've all created this image of Jesus, and to some extent, we've gotten it wrong. And so my question for you is, does the Jesus in your mind that you've created, that you wish Jesus would be like, does it match the Jesus that we read in the Bible? You know, a few months ago, someone was checking out our church, and they became confused with the idea that Jesus was God in the flesh. And I'd I'd said something from the stage like, God himself left heaven to die for you. And this person emailed me later in the week and and wanted to correct me by saying that God did not die. Uh, Jesus was the one who died. I, I told this person that in a sense, they were correct But Jesus, according to John 1, was fully God in the flesh, and he did die a physical death, but he rose from the dead. 
And this person responded by saying, well, my theology of God doesn't allow him to die. My theology of God doesn't allow him to die. And my question is, since when did our finite perceptions of God prohibit him from doing anything? When, when did we stop God? When does our theology of God stop God from doing anything? And maybe you've heard someone say, well, I just, I, I, I can't buy into Christianity because I just can't believe in a God who would cause a global flood. Genesis, story of Noah. I just can't believe in a God would, who, who would allow people to go to hell. I just can't believe in a God who would fill in the blank. And there are deep theological questions or theological answers to all of these questions. And I would love to spend time tackling each one of these questions in depth in the future. Maybe you've heard people say, I, don't, I just don't believe that Jesus ever got angry. That scripture about him in the temple with whips and flipping tables, no, he was just spirited, right? He wasn't angry, wasn't really angry. Jesus experienced anger in his life, according to scripture, although he did not sin in his anger. But we do, we have this, we have a picture of a savior who has experienced anger. Does your theology make room for that? That you serve a God who's angry at things, who gets angry at sin, who gets angry sometimes. Does your theology make room for that? Is that the image of Jesus that you have in your head? Are there things in your mind that, that God is not permitted to do outside of sinning, of course? And have you put Jesus in a tidy little box that makes it convenient for you to live life how you see it? I think we all do this to some extent. We all don't know what we don't know, right? And so we do what we can. We put to this image together of a Jesus that we serve. And oftentimes it doesn't align with what we read in Scripture. And so today I want to take a closer look at the description of the life of this baby Jesus and what he would face as he came into the world that first Christmas. I want to look deeper into Isaiah 53. And there are some things that Jesus intentionally chose that we have to wrestle with. That we have to come to terms with. The first thing is this. Jesus chose a manger, not a mansion. He chose a manger, not a mansion. Can you imagine what Mary was thinking when she discovered that she had to deliver God's son in a stable. Joseph comes and says, I'm sorry, honey. There's just no room. You're going to have to deliver God's son next to that cow. Can you imagine what she was thinking? Oh, no. I'm sure she wanted to give Jesus the very best. Is If it was up to, to, to mom... She probably would have chosen the finest room, the comfiest blanket, the warmest and the cleanest accommodations, right? Because she loved her baby. She carried Jesus for nine months. She wanted the best for her boy. But God had a different message that he wanted to send. Jesus, God wanted to communicate through the manger that I am there in the midst of the filth. I'm in the midst of the struggle. I'm in the midst of poverty. And I am not unable to identify with the darkest of conditions. And that message was clearly communicated through the manger. Jesus chose the manger, not a mansion. Think about what this means for us. 
that Jesus is with us in the struggle of life. Even when the money's gone, when hope seems lost, Jesus is there in the middle of the darkness. He's in the middle of the filth. And even when you're trapped in sin or trapped in addiction, Jesus is there present in those moments. We like to think that God can't see us when we're sinning. Come on, don't pretend like you don't act like that. When we intentionally do something we know we're not supposed to do, we like to think that God can't see us. We pretend that he isn't around and he's unaware. He'll find out later. Right? This is why, this is why Adam hid from God. Do you really think Adam thought that he could, he could run away from God, that God didn't know where he was at? But what did he do? He hid behind a bush and God comes wandering around going, where are you guys? God really knew where they were the whole time, right? But we like to pretend that God can't see us, that God doesn't know what's going on. But based upon the message of what God was sending with the manger, I imagine Jesus is the closest when we're trapped in sin. Let me ask you this question. How does it feel knowing that you serve a God who looks you in the eyes when you disobey him? You serve a God who looks you in the face when you disobey him. He doesn't run away from you. He doesn't depart. Our sin is what separates us from God. It's what causes us to feel unworthy, causes us, causes us to experience shame. And so we distance ourselves from God, and God is there looking us in the face. He came in the midst of the filth. He wasn't born in a palace and judging those who were lowly than him. No, he was born in the midst of it all. And God wanted to communicate through the manger that he is in the midst of your sin. He's in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your hardships, in the midst of, of the darkest of times. Jesus is there present in all of that. Does your theology make room for a God who looks you in the face when you disobey him? The second thing that Jesus chose, he chose first a manger, not a mansion, but Jesus chose love, not looks. Jesus chose love, not looks. Everybody wants their baby to be pretty, right? And, and Mary is no exception. Everybody says there's no such thing as an ugly baby, but I'm sorry. You know what? I've got to disagree. The, the expression of face that only a mother can love, that's there for a reason, Okay. I'm kidding. Okay, church, don't judge me. Everybody, I can feel judging eyes on me. Pastor, I can't believe you just called babies ugly. Okay, listen, I'm just, just, I I don't really mean that. Okay, every baby is beautiful. Okay, take, take that home. No, but this world places a lot of faith in outside appearance, uh, outside appearances, the outside appearance of a person. And the Bible says that In Isaiah 53, verse 2, the Bible says that Jesus was a man with no form or majesty. There was no beauty, that that there was nothing about his appearance that would attract us to him. There was nothing about him that we should desire him. And this isn't saying that Jesus was homely or he was ugly. 
That's not what this scripture is saying. No, this word, the word form, that there, he had no form here. That word means a stately form, like that of a person born to a royal family. The word majesty means splendor or surrounded by regal things. The word beauty means elegance or appearance. And, and what Isaiah is saying is Jesus was not born into a royal family. He had no regal things surrounding him. He was not born with a silver spoon. He didn't live his life in a palace isolated from the world. He came into this world as a humble servant. He chose love, not looks. He wasn't about looks. He didn't look like a king or anyone special. And if anyone was going to follow Jesus as he got older, it wasn't because of what he looked like or what it appeared he could offer you from the outside. It was because of who he was and the love that he showed. Mary's baby wouldn't stand out because of his appearance and the things that he had and the, 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 the newest car and the biggest house and whatever. You fill in the blank. He wasn't about looks. Perhaps you have felt at times like you drew a short straw in life or you were dealt a bad hand. And maybe you've fallen into the trap of comparison. That Maybe you've wished that, that you had another person's looks or their talents or their abilities. You wish you were more like that. I wish I looked like that. I wish I was attractive like that. I wish people th- saw me as a success. I wish people would invite me over more because of all the things that I could offer them. How does it feel knowing that you serve a Savior who can identify with a person who says, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what I've been given. Jesus knew who he was. The, the looks, the outside appearance didn't matter. What he had on the outside didn't matter. He was all about love. He was about character. It was about what he had inside of him. And Jesus, your Savior, identifies with those of us who, 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 who don't feel like we have an advantage in life. Jesus chose love, not looks. Jesus chose, this number three, Jesus chose purpose, not popularity. He chose purpose, not popularity. Mary probably wondered, would my boy be liked? Would he be popular? Would he be accepted? Isaiah 53, verse 3 says that he was despised. This means he was scorned, he was disliked, he was disrespected. Most everyone he came into contact with wouldn't like him. They wouldn't respect him or his message. And this is often the general feeling about Jesus even today. The Bible says that he was rejected, that the world would not accept him or what he did or what he said. Here's the thing, though. The world loves Jesus in a sense, the world loves the Jesus that they've created in their mind. They like a Jesus who is all about love, who's all about taking in the stranger, who's all about feeding the poor, who's all about showing love to everybody, loving your neighbor. The world likes that Jesus. But when they come across the Jesus who says, now go and sin no more, stop what you're doing. I want to change your life. I want to do something inside of you. That's the Jesus that the world has an issue with. That's the Jesus that is rejected. But that's the true Jesus. And so to what extent have we created a Jesus in our head that is palpable, 
that's easy to communicate with people when there's a real Jesus right here in the pages of Scripture, he shows himself clearly to us. The world did not accept him or what he said. They would treat him as a nut, as a crazy person, not, not worth bothering with. The world still rejects the real Jesus today. The Bible says that people would think that he was stricken and smitten by God. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Jesus spent most of his life disliked, disrespected, rejected, and, and he finally died on a cross. When he finally died on the cross, the religious people of the time thought that God was just getting him out of the way. Finally, God was getting this crazy person off the streets. Mary's baby was not highly regarded by the world he lived in. He had not, he, he's not high, highly regarded by the world that we live in either. He chose purpose, not popularity. Jesus chose pain, not a pass. He chose pain. He walked into it. A mother wants her kids to avoid pain, right? We hope our kids learn the lessons from others so they don't have to endure hardships. That's why we have uncle so-and-so come over to the house and tell his stories at the table, right? Don't do what your uncle did, right? Don't be like Uncle Bob, right? Sorry for all you Uncle Bobs in the room. A mother wants her kids to avoid pain, but Isaiah said that he would be a man of sorrows, that he would be acquainted with grief. And through the pain, he wouldn't take up for himself. He would not be deceitful in the midst of the pain. Isaiah also says that people would hide their faces from him. Nobody wanted to hear what he had to say, and they would turn the other way. Isaiah also says that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And he was cut off from the land of the living. He was to die a horrible death and he would die at the hands of others. Jesus chose pain. Jesus was God. He can do whatever he wants, right? Jesus could have chose any other way. But, but according to God and his will, this was the only way to go. And Jesus stepped into that pain. He embraced it. He did not choose a pass. Even when he was about to be killed, he willingly submitted. He never deceived anyone, despite his hard life, his harsh treatment. Every word he ever spoke was the absolute truth, was from a place of love. They were words that could be counted on. Mary's baby would, would face a tough life. It was not the life I'm sure that she had wished for him, but it was the life that he had to live. Let me ask you, do you have a theology of God that makes room for pain in life? And I'm not talking about a theology that believes God causes pain. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that in the Bible, it says that when you experience suffering for the sake of the gospel, then when you are persecuted for your faith, then when you experience suffering for Jesus, you are sharing an experience with Jesus. Philippians 3, 10 through 11 says this. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him to his becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to 
be, be persecuted for the gospel. I want to experience the suffering with Jesus because I want to share in his suffering so I can share in his resurrection. Does your theology make room for suffering? That we served a God who walked into pain. He didn't avoid it. He walked into it. What did these choices accomplish? The manger. Jesus chose a manger. He chose love. He chose purpose. He chose the pain. What did these choices accomplish in his life? It's not a pretty picture at this point. He wasn't born into royalty. Most people rejected everything he did. They turned the other way. He was despised and rejected. He was forcibly led to a horrible death. And that's not most mother's dreams for their new baby, is it? And all of this would break any mother's heart. And it might cause a person to ask why, if they didn't understand, we, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We have the end of the story. We know why Jesus walked into these things. But if you were to read the list in Isaiah and not fully understand everything that Jesus brought with him, you might ask the question, why let this baby come into the world in the first place? What could be the purpose of this baby's life? I'm reading about all these horrible things that he's going to have to endure. What is the purpose of this? Why would you allow? Why would somebody have to suffer this? Here's why. And this is what Jesus accomplished. Jesus bought peace, not punishment for you. Jesus bought your peace so that you wouldn't have to experience punishment. Mary probably cringed at first when she read Isaiah 53, and the thought of her baby suffering such a horrible death was something that she knew had to happen. But verse 5 says this, The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He came to be wounded for our our transgressions. He came to be crushed for our iniquities. This baby didn't come into the world to accomplish anything for himself. He didn't come with any selfish motives. He came into this world for others. He came into this world to accomplish something for you, to give you peace. He suffered in his life for you. It was you that he came for. Make this personal this morning. If you're here, don't consider the people to your left and your right. Allow Jesus to look you in the eyes this morning and for him to tell you, I came for you. I came for you. I had something that I wanted to accomplish for you. I wanted to bring you peace so that you would avoid punishment. Verse 6 of Isaiah 53 says that we're all stray sheep. Turn to somebody next to you and say, bah. No, we're all sheep. That's never been a really encouraging verse in the, in the scripture when it says, when it compares us to sheep. But we are like sheep that have gone astray. We've gone AWOL. We went our own way, away from God and into sin. We had no regard for him. We only wanted what we wanted with no regard for what God wanted. We've all sinned and we've all turned away from God. And Jesus came and he carried the load for all of us on the cross. He came to pay the price for your sins, to cover your mistakes with his blood. Everything he went through in life was for you. His sorrows, his grief. He went through every bit of it because you were on his mind. This baby, Jesus, did not come into the world for himself. He came to set you free, to give you peace. Let me ask you, did he get it done? Did he get it done in your life? Have you still yet to receive the gift of peace that Jesus bought for you?
Did he accomplish what he came to do in your life? The second thing that Jesus accomplished is Jesus bought healing, not hindrance. Jesus bought healing. But Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that by his stripes we are healed. And I believe this isn't talking just about spiritual healing, not just about emotional healing, but I believe it's talking about physical healing as well. When scripture talks about healing, it's this wholesome talk. It's this holistic talk about your whole body being restored. Did you know when Jesus came, your mind, your mind became renewed. That you have a new mind. It's the mind of God. Your spirit became new. That your old self died and you received a new spirit. And if your mind has been renewed, if your imagination has been renewed, if your emotions have been renewed, how much more will your body also be renewed? God desires healing for your life. And yes, we will experience full healing on the other side of death. When we are with Jesus face to face, we will experience full healing. But Jesus also said that we should pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that Jesus paid the price for your healing. That you would not have to experience the hindrances of life. He suffered so we would not have to. By his blood we have healing. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life. So I've asked you already, does your theology make room for suffering? And this is the tension that we hold in our faith, right? Is that we, we, we hold in one hand this theology of suffering that that we partner with God in some sufferings, but also does you do do you also have a theology that believes that God, God is better than you can imagine and Jesus wants you to experience healing? We hold those two truths in tension. Jesus wants healing for your life. He bought healing, not hindrance. And the last thing is this, and if I could ask Mary to come up and pl- and play as we kind of come into a closing time. This is an important one. Jesus bought your crown, not your comfort. He purchased a crown for you, not your comfort. Isaiah 53 verse 12, it says, He will receive a portion with the many and he will divide the spoil. He will divide the spoil. See, Mary's baby, he's coming back one day. And he's coming back this time as the king of kings and lord of lords. And all who accept him will live with him forever in his kingdom. Jesus lived with a purpose to see God's kingdom on earth. And you are now a continuation of that mission. To see the kingdom of God here on earth. You have been made heirs. Heirs to the throne. You are seated in heavenly places. According to Hebrews, you are seated in heavenly places with the Father. And he has partnered with you. He wants to partner with you in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Did you know that this verse in Isaiah 12, or excuse me, Isaiah 53 verse 12. It's not just speaking about a future promise. It's also speaking about a spoil that has already been divided among his people. When he went to the cross and he rose from the grave, he divided the spoil. And we see the fulfillment of that happening in Acts chapter 2. 
when he poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church. When he gave himself, when he gave his presence to live inside of every believer, that every believer has access to the kingdom of God. He divided the spoil on that day when the Holy Spirit came and he gave you a crown and said, you are now my son and my daughter. You are a ruler. You are a royal priesthood. And I want you to rule with me. I want you to take your seat and bring king, the kingdom of heaven to earth. Fulfill the mission that I started when I came. He didn't go through all of that suffering in life so that you can take it easy and experience comfort. Comfort's nice, isn't it? Man, we, we avoid pain at all costs. That's just a human condition. We avoid pain. We avoid, we avoid feeling uneasy, uncomfortable. We avoid awkward conversations because we, we don't want to experience discomfort. We want comfort. Jesus did not come. He did not buy your comfort. In fact, he said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to pick up your cross. And he promised that if, if you love me, people are going to hate you for it. He said, if you, if you follow me, and you believe in the real me, the life that I really lived, people are going to hate you for it. They're going to reject you, which is why Paul says, I want to share in that suffering. I want to experience that hardship because I will experience the resurrection with Jesus. I want to experience his life. He did not come to purchase your comfort. He came to purchase a crown to make you an heir of heaven with him. That baby born 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. He was born for you. This baby, Mary's baby, was God's gift to you. Jesus offers himself as a gift to you today. And just like your Christmas gifts, this morning he offers himself to you freely. He's already done what he came to do. All you have to do is accept him. You know... Like every gift, you, you deliver the gift to somebody. You, you maybe, you know, you put it on their doorstep. Like when you, UPS comes or FedEx comes or they deliver a package at your door, they drop it there. It's been delivered. It's done. It's been paid for. But you still got to open the door and bring it in the house, right? You still got to open it up. For every single one of you in this room, there are some of you who have brought that gift into your home. You've opened it up. And it's been, it's been made real for you. But for some of you, that gift is waiting at your doorstep. It's been paid for. It's been purchased. And it's been delivered to your door. God has made, he has done all the heavy lifting. He made it as easy as possible for all of us to say yes to him. And he's delivered this gift of grace to your door. And all we have to do now is open this door and bring in the gift. And so... Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you and I want to send out an invitation for those who maybe haven't opened this gift of God's grace. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you for the gift of Jesus coming in a manger, that he was not born with a silver spoon, that, that uh, he, he, he's not unable to identify with our struggle, with our darkest of conditions. And Father, we're so grateful that you thought of everything, you covered everything, and you've delivered this gift to our doorstep. 
Father, this morning I pray for those in here who maybe have, have felt far away from you. They felt distant from you. They feel like they've, they've done something that has caused you to turn away. Maybe they feel like you're disappointed with them. I want to let you know if you're here this morning, maybe you haven't been to church in a while, or maybe, maybe you haven't talked to God in a while and you feel like God is disappointed with me. I want to tell you that God is not disappointed, that he never left, he never ran away, he stayed there the entire time, and he's been waiting with arms wide open for you to come back to him. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed, if there's somebody in this room that says, I want to receive that gift, I want to open the door, bring it into the house, never done that before. If that's you, would you raise your hand high so I can see it? I'm not going to bring you on stage. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. If there's anybody in this room, raise your hand high so I can see it right now. Anybody at all? Praise God. Anybody else? You can put your hands down. Just receive this and and pray this in your heart. In fact, would we all pray this together? Jesus, I love you. And I'm grateful for your gift. I admit that I'm a sinner. That I messed up. And I receive your forgiveness in my life. Come, take control. Walk with me through the rest of my life. Give me your Holy Spirit and fill me with the power to overcome temptation and to defeat fully the sin that is in my life. I love you with all of my heart. I give my life to you. Amen. Praise God. Can we lift up a shout of praise? Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hey, if, if, if you said yes to Jesus today, if your hand went up, I really encourage you. Would you come to Grow Class so I can, so I can spend just a little bit of time with you? We, we do this on the second Sunday of every month, and so um, I would really love to spend some time with you. Please consider coming to Grow Class. We're going to be meeting there in about 15 minutes. But God bless you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week.